Forward and Chapter One of Women, Children, Love, and Marriage. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Grace Buchanan of WeaverGrace.com. Women, Children, Love, and Marriage by Catherine Gascoigne Hartley forward. The essays here collected were written on various occasions over a considerable space of time. This will account for the diversity in the subjects and for a certain amount of restatement of my own beliefs and position. I have not thought it advisable to attempt to alter this, since though some of the things I have said before may be repeated, the point of view and special application are in each case different. Some of the essays have appeared already in various journals, but all have been very carefully revised and altered and the great majority entirely rewritten. In spite of the diversity of the subjects, there is a common idea beneath all the essays, a common background of faith. I do not know whether I am justified in my confidence that this idea this faith is abundantly manifest? If I should try to formulate it into one short statement, I should say it was the responsibility that the old have to the young, the debt that one generation owes to the next. In my gospel, there is one commandment, which may not be broken. Ye shall not hurt a little child. See Gascoigne Hartley. Merton Park, March 1924. End of Forward of Women, Children, Love, and Marriage. Section 1 of Women Women and Cats. In an admirable speech that I heard a few weeks ago, women were likened to cats. I do not remember exactly in what connection, however, this does not matter. But this remark set me thinking. It was not the first time, by many, that I had heard a man sum up the evil characteristics possessed, or supposed to be possessed, by my sex by likening us to cats. I now asked myself, was this true? I want to be frank. Let me confess at once that I have come to the conclusion that the speaker was right. Women and cats have many qualities in common. I have another confession to make. When I first thought of this question of women and cats, I am bound to say that I felt that I did not like either cats or women. In fact, I was not sure that I didn't dislike them. But wait, please, my sisters, before you let your anger fall upon me. This knowledge was so wounding to my self-pride that it forced me into an inquiry. I had made a fatal mistake. I soon found the reason of my dislike. I had been thinking of women and cats as a class and not as individuals. I disliked them just as one dislikes the Chinese, Portuguese, pigs, or almost any other class of beings thought of collectively. Of course, this is absurd, but then nine times out of every ten we are absurd or unreasonable, which is the same thing. And only by recognizing this can we find the truth. 
Who is there who has never admired some individual cat? Is there any misogynist who has never loved some individual woman? Before I come to the real subject of this woman-cat likeness, I would like to say that we women are a little tired of being classed en masse. We really are growing wearied of hearing about ourselves. We claim to be appraised as individuals, some good, some bad, most of us a compound of good qualities and bad, but not all alike, not collective. We object to this communion of character. I remember talking to a Frenchman about English women. He said, By the ones and twos you are charmant, très charmant. But all together? No, horrible. This male logic is ridiculous. Men revile us as a class and sell their bodies and souls to us as individuals. Now let us look further. What are the class cat qualities that are also the class woman qualities? Few subjects are at once so easy and so difficult to approach as this one of woman and also of cat, our tiny, intimate tiger. We may purr commonplaces or scratch and spit rage, but the elusive individuality of women and cats escapes description. Yes, the more I consider this subject of women and cats, the more convinced I am that this likeness is a compliment to my sex. Like Balaam's ass of old, those who set out to curse us are made to bless. For a moment, I want you to think of a beautiful kitten, of her brilliant devilry, her perfect curves the elusive wonder of her unwinking eyes like orange flowers, the delicate nuances of expression in her tail. Now, I want you to ask yourselves the nature of your regard for this perfect animal. You prize her rather for her beauty than for her friendship. You call her pet idiotic names, play with her, then go away and forget her. The kitten grows up, becomes a cat, and old. She ceases to interest you. Her work is now to catch mice, to serve you. Do you think the cat does not feel this change in her mode of life, this too sudden loss of joy, which is forced upon her as soon as she attains her maturity? If you doubt this, make a real friend, not a plaything, of a kitten. We did this once. The kitten passionately loved my husband. When he went walking, she went part of the distance with him. Often she waited for him or watched for his return, loudly purring a welcome. Then my husband proved faithless. The kitten grew old and less beautiful. And we got a dog. He ceased to notice her. That cat died. Yes, slowly pined away from grief. I acknowledge all cats are not so sensitive. They have not been made friends. The common cat develops an immense power of ignoring your past passionate and playful petting. She becomes distantly indifferent or coquettishly variable. 
purring at one hour, scratching at another. She remembers her past. She understands what you valued in her. All that is herself, she keeps for herself. Contrast the cat with the dog, the blind worship of the one, the exquisitely calm indifference of the other. The dog accepts you, whatever treatment you give him, because you have loved him for himself, made him your companion, your friend. But can you expect this from the cat? You have never made her your friend. You have not found it worthwhile to understand her. She deceives you. She scratches you with those exquisite velvet paws do you annoy her. You cannot teach her to thieve. But why? She has no other weapon, and the great life force urges her to self-protection. And how splendidly she defends herself. How persistent and how successful she is in gaining her desires. And how well she understands the advantages that beauty gives to her. Advantages she can gain from nothing else. There is something really splendid in the trouble the cat takes over her personal attire. To keep the seductive whiteness of her shirt front's pretty fur. The glossy shine of her splendid tiger skin. The dog would be quite happy and proud when dirty. Ugliness is allowed to him, but the cat. Only when her self-respect is dead can she neglect to be beautiful. Yes, now I have come to think about cats. I am filled with adoration. With every force against her, the cat has kept her power. Her rudeness is sublime. Her aloofness is adorable. You may scratch her chin. She will permit this if she feels inclined. But the allowing of this familiarity does not forward your intimacy with her in the least. She knows what your advances mean. Sometimes she will not respond to your supplications. You cannot compel her. She wishes to sit upon your lap. A dozen times you send her down and each time she returns. You want her to sit upon your lap, and a dozen times she refuses and jumps down. She imposes her will upon you with a lordship that admits of no dispute. The personality of the cat is persistent and overwhelming. She is inconceivably herself. Nothing living, no, not even woman, is so self-supporting. I do not mean this economically, but artistically and self-centered as the cat. She is the great ego, the supreme type of the super-me. I have said almost nothing at all about the character of woman. Is it necessary? I think not. End of chapter one. Recording by Grace Buchanan of weavergrace.com.